Episode 9 of the Playing It Wrong Podcast. This one, more about house rules. And just like about every other episode, I'm going to start off with some technical notes, which I really didn't notice this until I actually listened to the podcast via a different medium and found out there was this huge volume difference between the intro and extra than the actual body of the podcast. And hopefully with this little tweak here, I've fixed that, but we shall see. And a special shout-out this episode to Josh Beckelheimer, who has just gotten a new member to his gaming table. Check it out, anyway. This episode is also kind of dedicated to Josh because he gave me a question in the last one about, last episode anyway, about house rules for Swords and Wizardry, and I kind of gave him a non-answer, so here's more legitimate answers, or at least more concrete ones. Now let me start at the beginning with my basic philosophy. So, every time I start a campaign, I come up with house rules. And, well, they don't always end up actually coming up in play because either A, they don't forget about, I forget about it, or B, the situation just doesn't arise. But there's some standards that I use, and I'm going to go over those later this episode. But house, house rules are always important because it lets you customize any game to, well, you. Your tastes, players' tastes, what they prefer, and just keep having it fun at the table the way you play. So many house rules come about because, well, make them as we need them. Plus, never get married to your house rules. Either A, somebody will come up with a better idea, or B, you realize it didn't really work the way you wanted to, so you're going to change it anyway. Oh, and listen to your uh, players because they might come up with good ideas for house rules too, so just take their feedback. Anyway, these are in no particular order, just sort of the order that I have scribbled them down onto a post-it, so just bear with me. Alright, so first... We're going to talk about two-weapon fighting. In Swords and Wizardry, the basic uh, two-weapon fighting rule is a plus one to hit. But it doesn't say anything about damage, so this is how I handle damage for two-weapon fighting. Fighters and other martial types roll damage for both weapons, take the higher one. Everybody else, roll damage for both weapons and average it. And speaking of weapons, I like doing weapons by type rather than specific here's a mace, here's an axe, here's an everything else, because you know in the old school games it pretty much doesn't matter, so... White, do a d4, medium, do a d6, since, you know, 8, 10, 12. Since I'm doing white box, it'll be easy. d6 minus 1 is light, d6 is medium, and d6 plus 1 is heavy. And I basically do the same thing for armor. And more about fighting attacks of opportunity. This is just a brand new one that I made up, up what, like a week ago, reading, or actually not reading. <laughs> yes, I read the podcast of Glenn Hellstrom, of, you know, Old, old Man Grognard. His podcast talking about attacks of opportunity, and I came up with that idea. It's on the on the blog of using saving throws in places in place of attacks of opportunity. Blech. Yeah, sorry folks, it's Sunday and things are going crazy. And speaking of like weapons and armor, I also like to use the shattered shield and sundered helmets rules. But here's how I do this. All right, you can give up your shield, have it shattered, broken, and well, useless to negate one hit. Now, for helmets, I like to do those special. For helmets, helmets will turn a crit into a normal hit. That's all it does, but your helmet is smashed, but at least your skull is mostly still intact. And as you can tell by that, I also like using crits and fumbles, which I am redoing my charge for that for the upcoming white box campaign. 
And I know a lot of this has been about fighting, so I'm going to talk about the fighter a little bit. I'm going to tweak up the fighter class a bit, too, because I've always disliked how fighters get multiple attacks in sports and wizardry with the you get number of attacks equal to your level against opponents of one hit die or less. This always seemed kind of useless to me. And so I did some digging on the internet, and according to the Wisdom and Legends of Dragonfoot, the uh, Dave Arneson's house rule was chop till you drop. So here's my take on that. When a fighter drops an opponent, they get an extra attack. And a fighter may only get a number of extra attacks equal to their level. So a first level fighter gets one more attack, second level two, and so on and so forth. It seems to work on paper. Let's see how it works when the dice meet the table. And speaking of class weeks, I really want to do, redo the Cleric and the Magic user. For me, the Cleric has always been weird, and I've never really liked the spellcasting in, in any old school games, even when I, they were the current game. I never really liked it. It didn't quite make sense to me. I just never thought of a Cleric sitting there praying, going, Oh, Crom, tomorrow I'm going to need to heal three times, bless the party, and get some extra food for the halfling. I don't know, I always thought of clerics more like a, you know, a mace-wielding televangelist going more like, by the power of Krom, be healed! And it just happens. Much more spontaneous casters of praying to the god for what they need, when they need it. Now, I haven't decided how I'm going to do this yet, and that's future blog fodder to get done before we start that campaign, but that's in the future. Also, the same thing with magic users. I've just, I've never quite been a huge fan of the regular Vancean magic, now, I kind of like the way DCC does it, and I might mess around with that and do something similar but easier than DCC. Time will tell on that. And as I mentioned in the previous episode, I like skill systems, but not terribly overly complex one with lots and lots of skills. Lamentations of Flame Princess has a great one. It uses the X and D6, and that's also used in White Box Fan fantastic medieval adventure game, and James Bond did a good job of using it in the white box omnibus. So I'm going to expand that a little bit, put it together, and hopefully make something that makes coherent sense. So that's all future blog fodder, so pay attention to the blog on that one. And I know this one's a little short, but I'm going to wrap it up here. Now I don't know how much is going to happen next week. There's a holiday right in the middle of the week, which is like a big giant hiccup. Plus I know the day job is going to be really, really busy. Alright, so... Have fun out there. And thanks for listening. Please visit the blog at theymightbegazebos.blog. That's theymightbegazebos.blog. And the letter B, not B, spelled out. Or visit us on Facebook to search for They Might Be Gazebos. Ask us questions and you might get an answer. If not, we'll just make up the questions and the answers. Remember, roll dice, kill monsters, take their stuff, and have fun. Intro music is Metal Mania by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons 3.0 Attribution License. Please visit his website at incompetech.com. That's incompetech.com. Really, visit it. There's also downloadable graph paper and hex paper. Additional sound effects from freesound.org, used under Creative Commons 0.1.0 Universal License. And this is also to see if people are listening to the credits. So, hey, I've got this great idea. Let's start calling Glenn Halstrom the Barry White of the OSR with that deep, melodious voice. Roll for initiative, baby.